Hello, fellow rebel capitalists. Hope you're well. So what is the number one investment opportunity right now as we speak? Is it gold? I saw that it just increased in price again the other day. How about Bitcoin? I mean, it was up around $38,000. How about commodities? I think we're in a long-term super cycle. Well, it could be one of those, but I want to add something else to the mix, something that nobody is talking about. And this isn't investment advice by any stretch, but the purpose of this video, in fact, the purpose of my whole channel really, is to get you to think and maybe think about things in a different way. So most of you know the story of when I just went to St. Bart's and was talking to a lot of these hedge fund managers that I know there. And one of them challenged me because this gentleman in particular was in Japan in the late 80s. He made money going up and on the way down. They're boom and bust. Then he just happened to be at the right place at the right time, went to San Francisco during the dot-com boom and bust. Then he made a ton of money. And why I mean a ton of money, I'm talking about hundreds of millions of dollars in uh, the GFC with uh, real estate. And then he made a similar amount of money in commodities, 2020, and with crypto, in 2021 and 2022. So how how does he do this? And I was sitting there, and I, he's a good friend of mine, but we were talking at dinner and actually Josh was there as well. And he said that one of the key observations that he has had throughout his entire career is the best investments he has made are the hardest ones to pull the trigger from a psychological standpoint. Because you think the asset is done, it's dead. It's gone away. It's never coming back. But you see, that's usually the opportunity. And I had a conversation with my good friend, Chris McIntosh, the other day about Argentina. And one of the things that we discussed, and I think this is empirically true, that you make the most amount of money when things go from horrible to bad, not from good to great. And I want to go right over to the Wall Street Journal and discuss an article that I just saw that really hits the nail on the head. And is this going to be the best investment opportunity of the 2020s? Maybe, maybe. But even if it's not, it's something that I think will make each and every one of you think. So let's get right over to this article from the Wall Street Journal. But actually, before we get into this article, let me ask you a question. What would be the hardest thing for you to buy right now? Because you think it's dead. You think it's it's never coming back. You think it's be the worst investment of all time. For a lot of you, and this question was posed to me in St. Bart's by this hedge fund manager, uh, a lot of you would say commercial real estate. That's what I said. And I think that's why this article is going to resonate so much with a lot of you. And, and, and that's why it resonated with me. And I'm sure most of you that have gone down to your local mall have seen something like what they show in this image, a dilapidated, dying building that has been completely taken over by the likes of e-commerce and Amazon. And it's just on its last, it's it's on its last breath. It's on its deathbed. It's basically, you see the deet, deet, the heart rate is just flatlining. But that's what you may see on the outside. But if you actually get into the numbers, we see that this, could be one of the best investment opportunities right now. 
right now, and especially going into 2024, if we have a big recession, I'm talking about things specifically, I'm talking about things that you would never, ever think of. In fact, assets that you would think might even be a liability, such as a mall, your local mall. So if I told you, hey, what do you think the best investment opportunity is right now? And someone said, oh, well, obviously buying your local mall. You would think that I'm absolutely crazy, or you would think that that person was crazy. But when we go through the numbers, I think you're going to have a whole new opinion of this entire asset class. And again, once you understand the concepts, I think you're going to be able to apply this to your own portfolio. And I'm not saying go out there and buy a mall or even commercial real estate, but it's understanding these lessons, understanding these concepts. This is how we build wealth and thrive. This is how we survive a recession. And this is how we even profit from whatever is coming our way in 2024. So I actually went through this and look at this picture right here. And again, this is probably familiar to a lot of you. And this is what your local mall could look like. And this is a mall that was just purchased, just purchased by a group. You say, oh, George, okay, I get the punchline here. They're buying the mall because they're getting it for less than the land is worth. And then they're demoing the mall. And then they're just building apartment complexes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, this is just a multifamily play. No, 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 no. You would be completely, completely wrong. So this is a mall, the Berkshire Mall. Not sure where this is, but it was just purchased by a group called Namdar Realty Group. And you may be thinking to yourself, okay, well, this is just what fool bought this. They're going to be left holding the bag here. No, no, no. This group owns 80 malls, eight zero, and they are making an absolute killing on malls that look just like that. Just like that. Let's keep going down the article here. There are hundreds of zombie malls throughout the United States, like the Berkshire Mall. More dead than alive. The order low-end ones have lost half and in some cases more than 70% of their value. Oh, in some cases a lot more than that. <laughs> Since the industry's peak in 2016, according to real estate research firm Green Street, as values below the balances of their outstanding debt, owners usually stop paying the mortgage and look to either renegotiate with lenders or hand back the keys. This is exactly what I was doing buying real estate in 2012, residential, buying them from the banks, buying them for pennies on the dollar. And back then, sounds crazy to say now, now hindsight being 2020, but back then people were thinking I was just as crazy as you would think someone is by buying this mall. But getting back to the article, what this Namdar Realty Group is doing is they are waiting for these malls to go back to the lender, i.e. the bank. And then they're coming in with an all cash offer. A lot of times they're saying, hey, we won't even do due diligence. So we're gonna do a quick close is what we used to call it. And I know this works because again, I used to do it with banks back in 2012 and 2013. And they had very little leverage. And you could, even if they're asking prices, let's say 75000 I knew that I could talk them down to probably you know, sometimes below 60000 because they needed just, they just needed to get this thing off their books. 
And a year or two, or well, not maybe a year or two, but prior to the GFC, that house would have traded at double, maybe even more what they were even asking, let alone what I could buy it for. So this Namdar Realty is doing the exact same thing, but with these malls. So then the question becomes, okay, George, I get why you were buying residential real estate because you could put a renter in there and then the cash flow made a lot of sense, right? But that's the opportunity that these guys are taking advantage of. And I think it could be, could be the opportunity with commercial real estate, not just malls, but something like an office building when everyone, including myself, has left that for dead and everyone sees more pain in the future. Look, I understand all the arguments why commercial real estate is going to continue to decline. And I agree, but that's not to say that at some point there's not going to be a huge opportunity and maybe not just a huge opportunity. Maybe one of these opportunities that I talked about with my buddies in St. Bart's that they would call a generational opportunity. But what you have to do is you have to understand the concept. That's why I wanted to do this video and you have to adjust your thinking. You can't just look at a mall and say, well, that's never coming back to the way it was. And therefore it's a horrible investment, but you're not basing it on the numbers of 2016 when you had all these anchor stores like Nordstrom's or Macy's or fill in the blank. No, no, no. You have to readjust the business model. And when you readjust the business model, that's where you see the opportunity based on the price where you can buy. You see, one man's, I, you always hear this saying, but I think it's applicable in investing as well. One man's trash is another man's treasure. But the treasure is all based on your how you see the asset, and it's based on price. Based on price. We got to remember that. Getting back to the article. Namdar Realty and Mason said they have sold only 10 of the dozens of enclosed, enclosed malls they have bought since 2012. They currently own about 80 malls. Their business model exploits counterintuitive tenant of retail real estate. Dying malls often take a long time to expire. So what they do is when everyone says this mall is completely worthless, we've got to tear it down, we've got to do all this stuff, they'll go in and buy it for, I mean, pennies on the dollar. In fact, there's one mall, they used an example, that in 2015, it appraised for $150 million, $150 million. And they just bought it for nine, nine. So what they, so they get 800,000 square feet for 9 million or just a few years earlier, it was trading for 150 million. Now, are you ever going to get those rents? No, 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 no. So you could sit there and say at even 75 million, it's not worth it. Even half price, it's not worth it. At 20 million, it's not worth it. But at nine, all of a sudden, the numbers start to make sense. And I've seen this happen over and over and over again. Even when the numbers start to make sense, because it's declined so much, nobody's paying attention to it. It's exactly, exactly what happened with residential in 2012. And again, it's hard for people to understand that because it's gone up so much lately. But back then, it was just like this mall. People thought that residential real estate was going to continue to go down forever. They never thought it would recover. And you can go out through, look at the dot-com bust. You're telling me in 2001, people thought that dot-com stocks would recover? Amazon, as an example? Absolutely not. But you've just got to readjust 
your the angle to which you are looking at the asset. You can't look at it from the same angle that you're looking at it from before. And then it's a function of price, you see? But even when the price gets down to these levels, people still completely ignore it because they're off to the next shiny object, right? When if you look at their returns, ironically enough, they've probably made more than most of the people chasing that shiny. I would put their returns up with Kathy Wood or against Kathy Wood any day of the week as an example. Let's do that. Let's look at Kathy Wood's returns you know, with all these fancy high-flying tech names compared to these guys who bought old dying malls. And let's see who's doing better. I would bet that it's the guys buying the old dying malls. But you may be asking yourself, okay, George, how on earth do they make money if the thing's vacant or if it's sitting there just you know, growing weeds and all these sinkholes and it's just this eyesore? What do you do with it? Here we go. It's not that complex, actually. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Jason Hartman, real estate, and Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow Rebel Capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. So their business model exploits a counterintuitive tenant of retail. Uh, okay, we got that. Malls typically sit on large parcels of prime real estate, which often include nearby buildings such as restaurants, as well as large parking lots that can be subdivided and sold in parts, sometimes at a value exceeding the purchase price of the mall. So you see what they do is they'll have, uh, they'll have this huge property. In the middle will be the mall. Then surrounding the mall, you have parking lots, but on the exterior of the parking lot, before you get to the street, they'll have all these other, um, usually like restaurants, like uh, a McDonald's or a, a Chick-fil-A or fill in the blank, whatever. Uh, I can't remember all the fast food joints in the US now, uh, but they use some examples here as well. So what these guys will do is they'll subdivide because that they own that. That's their property. But if you subdivide it to where now you just have the section of property where the McDonald's sits or the Chick-fil-A or whatever, now all of a sudden, well, that's a great performing. Anyone would want to buy that. And you can buy that at a multiple that's 10 times higher than what you paid for it because you bought the entire thing when you look at it on a like a, a price per square foot or a yield per square foot. So you... So actually, let's get down into some numbers here because they give specifics. And by the way, this uh, Namdar group who owns 80 of these dying malls last year reported a gross profit of $86 million. So, I, I mean, again, it's not a high-flying high tech stock, 
but 86 million. And I would want to see what their returns are. And I'll bet you the returns, like I said, exceed most of these shiny object, uh, kind of YOLO FOMO stuff. The partners said their malls and here, I think one pushback as you get is probably, Oh, well, okay, fine. They're taking the last puffs off that cigarette, butt, just like Warren Buffett talks about, or Benjamin Graham in the in intelligent investor. No, no, no. Look, the partners said their malls notched the best sales performance in 2021 and 2022. Best. And they've owned these things for 2012. So mid-2010s, e-commerce started to eat away at sales. So this is the argument that you always hear. Oh, it's a dying class. It's a dying asset class. Look at with office space. I mean, it's identical today to office. Right. Oh, no one's ever going to return. Everyone's going to work from home. It's there's all these things are just going to have to be torn down. No, no, no. And, and I totally agree with that, but that could be the opportunity. You see, that's the main point of this video. So here's some specific numbers. Namdar really purchased Crystal Mall in Waterford, Connecticut for 9.5 million. It was appraised for 153 million in 2012. I, I thought that was 2015. I'm sorry, but re regardless, it was appraised for 153 million. They bought it for 9.5. Where did they buy it? They bought it in an online auction. Or no, no, no. This is the next mall. I'm sorry. They're talking about a different mall here. They bought Midway Mall in Elria, El Elria, I think, Ohio, in 2017, online auction for 4.5 million. And here you go. You make your money and buying at the right price. How many times have I said in, in, in real estate, but in investing in general, you make money on the buy side. You make money on the buy side. You make money on the buy side. So when a bank or institution is selling a mall, partners let them know that they can close right away in cash. As we were talking about earlier. That's exactly what I used to do with banks with residential. This helps bring down the price. He finances the property after closing. Most of you know my story. You should be smiling right now because this is exactly what I'd go in with cash. And as soon as I got the property, now at the time, I couldn't get anything. I couldn't extract any equity. But over time, I built a relationship with the local bank there to where I could get a line of credit based on the equity that I had. So exact same model. The partners then took look at carving up the property and selling off the pieces. This is the pro the approach they took at Enfield, Connecticut, where they bought the Enfield Square Mall out of foreclosure for $11.4 In addition to the 800,000 square feet enclosed core of the mall, Namdar Realty and Mason owned the connecting building that occupied by Target and several freestanding buildings. So these freestanding buildings included Wendy's, uh, Friendly's, not sure what that is, Figaro's, Popeye's, Raising Cane's, and they sold these for sums, not the target, the target they sold, and I'm talking about the, the, the land under the target. They sold that for $8.9 And for all of these other basically restaurants, fast food joints, they sold the land for between $1.1 and $2.6 So in total, from selling off all of these parts, they uh, brought in $17.76 But let's remember... They paid $11.4 for the property, but they still own the mall. They still own it. And then the argument is, well, George, that's a liability that they own. No, 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 no. Because then what they do is they bring in tenants, but they bring in a tenant to that space that used to be occupied by Sears 
let's say, where Sears was paying them, I'm just throwing this out there, but let's say Sears was paying them $50,000 a month. Okay, well, they bring in a gym now that pays them five grand a month. And you say, oh, George, how can they make any money? The 50000 to 5000 No, no, remember, it's all about price. It's all about price. They could be getting a better yield on that $5,000 than the original owner was making on the 50000 It's all dependent on their cost basis. So the partners, they say, aren't opposed to selling a mall, which, uh, which can then be reborn. They sold a mall in Jersey, $43 million. And now the company that bought it tears it down to build a warehouse. So you see what they do is they sit there and they repurpose, they subdivide, they sell off, they recoup their funds. A lot of times they even make a profit. Then they'll sit there and cash flow the thing with all of these other, let's say, alternative tenants that you wouldn't expect to be in a mall, sit there cash flow, cash flow, cash flow until they get just some astronomical price from some developer that's willing to pay uh, you know, $43 million for something that they paid $9 million or $11 million for. This is the model. And this is how you take that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was going to use some terminology that's probably not too good on this channel. But this is how you, you take something that one person sees as trash and you, you shine it up and uh, you see that opportunity. And this is how you make money. Now, you may be saying to yourself, okay, George, well, you're not going to make billions of dollars, blah, 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 blah. Right. But again, it's I, I'm going over this story so you understand the concept. Number one, where this is how it's not just about making money, but this is how you truly get incredible, exceptional risk reward. You see, what most people do is they just sit there and focus on why the price of XYZ is going up, but they don't focus on, okay, what's your downside? What's your downside? So let's just say that these guys go in and buy a mall that have all these additional assets, right? They've got a Target, they've got the Canes, they've got Wendy's, whatever it is, to where if they just sell off the individual sections, they're going to recoup what they paid for it and more. What's your downside on that? Basically zero. In fact, your downside on that is you make 50% return, but your upside is even greater, is much, much, much greater. You see, so investing, in my opinion, is, is not about just absolute returns. And that's what most people get fixed on. It's about risk versus reward. And if you can have 50%, 100% upside with 3% downside, that may be something that you should consider, even if you think the industry or the asset class as a whole is, quote unquote, dying. I, I, you know, I've said this, I've told this story many, many times. The best investments I've ever made in my life, as far as return, are the ones where I tell people about it and they tell me that I'm crazy. Like whenever I tell someone about an investment, they say, oh my gosh, well, that's a fantastic idea. Oh boy, but maybe, yeah, maybe I should do that. Yeah, it's incredible. Oh, my buddy's making a killing on that as well. Yeah, how do I get involved? Those are always the investments that have very poor risk reward. The ones in my experience that have the fantastic risk rewards are the ones that you tell your buddy, say, are you crazy? What? You're, 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 buying, you're buying real estate now? You're buying an office? You're buying a mall? Haven't you read the news? What, what, have you been in a coma for the last 10 years? You see, those are the ones that, in my opinion, should be on the watch list 
or should interest you. <laughs> that should that should pique your interest. Let's get back to the article. Not everyone sees the Berkshire wants to see the Berkshire Mall torn down. There's still a lot of good. Uh, there's still a lot of people who go there to buy outfits for wedding. Uh, friends meet up in the food court, exercise by walking the property's interior perimeter. Local small businesses have found affordable rents for a much bigger space. And uh, this guy opened Extreme Boxing there in 2022. And uh, it is odd because you look right out his window here or the opening to the, the gym and you see like a T-Mobile. <laughs> so it's, but hey, it's a win-win. Because this guy's getting this massive space that he, let's say, otherwise would have paid 20 grand for. Where here, he's paying five grand. And it's a win-win for everybody. And then you see other people with, let's just call that alternative businesses that you that would usually not be able to afford to be in a mall or wouldn't be able to afford as much square footage. So I think you get it, guys. Again, I want to throw out that disclaimer that this is not investing advice. Uh, what I am doing here is I'm just trying to help you understand the concepts that I know work very, very well, not just through my own experience, but through the experience that has been shared with me through uh, a lot of these guys that I've been fortunate enough to get to know in St. Bart's that have quite literally made billions, billions of dollars for their investors and for themselves. And it's something that that the, the the retail investor usually does the opposite of this. They usually gravitate toward the shiny object, just like a, a moth to a flame. But usually they don't gravitate toward that shiny op, to that shiny object until all their buddies are doing it, or they feel comfortable. They they give you all the arguments as to why there's this upside, why it's going to continue to grow, why it's going to go up forever. And yada, 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 it's going to change the world, this revolutionary technology that's going to disrupt this industry, blah, 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 right? When in reality, the best risk reward is the stuff that people look at and 99% of your friends and family member Fred's see a piece of trash. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism. We'll see you in the next video.